Good morning. My name is Kyle Cox. Um, And a little bit about me, I have been working at Grace Bible Church for almost three years now. My first two years, I worked as a college fellow in our fellows ministry. And I, uh, I actually remember a year ago, I was on the stage. It was the last time I had preached on this stage. And I had this big heartfelt thing where I was like, this is my last time to preach on the stage. And so now I'm a liar. Um, and for the last year, I've been working in our outreach ministry, specifically with the Mandarin Church right, uh, right across the sidewalk and working also with international students. So if you're someone who's like, I just love international students, talk to me after. I'll hook you up or I'll hook you up with someone who does love international students. So we are in John 21 this morning. We're going to look at the life of Peter. So we've been doing character studies in our, in our college and youth services. And um, we're looking at different characters and their failures and their victories. And we're seeing how they all apply to our life. So this morning we're looking at Peter, specifically in a time in Peter's life when he had made a huge grand mistake. So we're going to read starting in verse 1 and we're going to read all the way through 19. So it's a pretty big chunk of scripture. So take a deep breath and we're going to move in. Okay, starting in verse 1. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, do you not have any food? Do they not have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right hand side of the boat and you will have a catch. So they they cast their nets and then they were not able to haul it in because of all the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, who is John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put out his, his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus looked and said to them, bring some of the fish which you have caught. Now Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him. Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord Jesus. And Jesus came and took the bread and he gave it to them and the fish likewise. This now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15. So when they had finished eating breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him again, tend my sheep, tend my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, yes, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to Simon Peter again for the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said this a third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to grid yourself and walk wherever you wish. But when you are, when, now that you are older, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. 
Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death Peter would have to glorify God. And when he had spoken this, God, Jesus said to him, follow me. I'm going to pray real quick one more time. Um, Lord, I, I just thank you for the opportunity to come and, and worship you this morning. And, and Father, I, I just pray uh, this morning for this piece of scripture um, that you so beautifully inspired and crafted. And um, God, I just ask that you would speak to us this morning. I just ask that looking at the life of Peter, God, that we, we would be spoken to by your spirit, God. Would you wake up hearts this morning? And I pray that um, in response, we, we will just worship you. We trust you and praise you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, a lot of you have that friend. That friend who you're just like, we just clicked when we first met. And we were like, oh my gosh, we both like to work out. So we work out. And, oh my gosh, we both like painting nails. So you both paint nails. And you're just like, we get along perfectly. It's great. But some of you have that friend that people look at. And they're like, how, how are you two friends? And this story I'm about to tell is about one of my best friends. A guy named Elliot Kood. And, uh... And he's the type of guy who's like stoic. He drinks wine and talks about deep theology. And I'm kind of like, hey, man, what's up? And he's like, whoa, chill, Kyle. You know? And so we're just so different in our personalities. And yet somehow it works. Somehow it works. And Elliot is one of those friends in my life who I met coming into college. And we just, when we met, it was really awkward between us for like six months. And then something clicked and we were like did we just become best friends and we were like yes and so ever since we've been in the same friend group from college since that point now I want you to think of every romantic comedy ever think of it now some of the most annoying ones are about these two friends it's about one guy who really likes a girl and that girl really likes the other guy, but that other guy can't date that girl because he's friends with the other guy, and it's just this big drama. And at the end of the movie, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted by how immature these people are. And if I ever meet someone who ever is in that situation, my respect for them will just drop. Well, welcome. Here I am. <laughs> so Elliot, Elliot liked this girl. I'm going to call her homegirl. It was, <laughs> so Elliot likes homegirl. <laughs> And I find out later that homegirl likes me. And uh, I think, look to Elliot, and I think, okay, okay, I'm, I didn't like homegirl, but I'm kind of interested in homegirl. So I know what you're all thinking. Hopefully this was in high school or junior high. No, no, it was in college. And so I'm thinking, okay, God is sovereign. So what I can do is this. I can take her on one date and not tell Elliot. And so what I do is I don't tell Elliot, and I take her on one date just because I want to, like, test it out a little bit before I tell Elliot, and what was by far the most uncomfortable date I had ever been on, because we were all, we're all good friends at this point. It was a very uncomfortable date, and what happens? Elliot walks into the restaurant, and he sees us there eating, and he's like, hey, guys, and I look panicked at her, and she looks at me, and she realizes, you didn't tell him? And I was like, nope, um, and uh, he's like, can I join y'all? And I'm like, no, sorry. And so it was funny, the next day, that actually, we never went on another date. It, it was over with homegirl. Me and Elliot were great. Well, a couple months later, uh, Elliot comes to me and he says, hey, Kyle, I really, I really want to ask out homegirl. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, that's great. You have my, please do. But in my mind, I'm like, I don't really like that because the Lord needed some maturing to do before I could be a real man. So I thought, <laughs> I 
I don't really like that. No, 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 no. But I'm like, yeah, sure. And so he goes and he asks her out. And man, the story, it's exhausting. He goes and he asks her out. And she's like, let me think about it. And so little did she know that weeks before that, Elliot, he also was like, hey, there's another girl and I'm kind of interested, but I can't get my mind off this girl. Um, And it's just crazy, crazy. And so what did I do? I thought, in my sin, I was like, I'm going to sabotage. And so I go and I talk to homegirl, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I heard he, I heard he totally asked you out, you know, just trying to play it cool. And she's like, yeah, you know, and I'm thinking about it. And I was like, oh, I guess he's not going to ask out that other girl he's talking to me about. <laughs> and I remember in that moment thinking that was the wrong thing to say. And I panicked. And I was like, please, God. In your mercy, don't let her tell Elliot that. Well, naturally, Elliot, I'm sitting with him hours after this. He's like, hey, I'm getting a call from homegirl. And he's like, she wants to meet with me. And so what I do is I panic and I go away. I just run. (laughs) And so what I did for the next two weeks, I avoided Elliot. I was like, I know my friendship with him is done. The, The relationship didn't work out between them. I know it's my fault. I know it's done. And I felt terrible. I felt terrible. And I was just like, I know that I just can't, I can't talk to him. And so what I did is I played it safe. I ran. I went back to my old friend group, the ones that I, I didn't hang out with anymore. I, I ditched my new friend group, the one that Ellie was in. I went back to what was safe and comfortable because I didn't want to address the fact that I had hurt my friend. And it wasn't until two weeks later that Ellie just opens my door at 11 o'clock at night. He's like, hey, man, let's talk. And we go outside and we sit on my couch because for some reason college guys have couches on their back porch. And uh, I, I sit outside and uh, he says, hey, hey, did you, did you do this? And my mind went to excuses. Oh, she manipulated. And I was like, yeah, I did. And I was like, I'm really sorry. And he said, I forgive you. Let's just, let's move on. And you know what? We did. We moved on. And to this day, we actually, a couple of weeks ago, he was in town and we were joking about this moment. And I, I really was thankful that my friend forgave me in that moment. It was to the point where I was actually a groomsman in his wedding and he'll be one in mine. And this relationship that I thought was broken wasn't because he came after me and he said, it's okay, hey man, it's okay, I love you, you know? And it's actually funny, she's married too. And so I'm not saying I'm single or I'm not married. I'm not saying that uh, karma exists, but I'm saying God has a massively great sense of humor. Um, And uh, I just looked at that situation. I was like, man, there was great forgiveness in that. And so... Why do I say that? I say that because as Christians, a lot of the times what we do is we play it safe. As Christians, a lot of the times what we do is we run. We mess up and we say, I, I, I can't be in front of God anymore. And we run and we go back to what's comfortable and we go back to what's safe. And I see this, I've only been in ministry for three years, but I've, I've seen this a lot. I see examples of people who will remember that time in, in the old days, like in high school or whatever, and they think, oh yeah, I've, I've been on a mission trip, or I've done this, and you can just tell, like, they get quiet in their shame, particularly a friend from back home. I went to a Christian school, and he literally got the Christian Kingdom Builder for Christ Award. <laughs> whatever that means, I don't know. Um, and to this day, I, you know, I, I hang out with them and we talk about the days we did worship together and we're like, yeah, we did worship. And you could just kind of feel like this sense of like, what happened? What happened? And uh, I, I just see people, they, they remember this past relationship they have with Jesus and they just think, what, what happened? Like, what, what went wrong? You know, and you're not a criminal or the worst person ever. You're just 
kind of living your life. You know, you were the person at camp and you were like, yes, the Lord got to me and I give my life to him. And it was awesome. And you meant it. And you look back and you, you think like, what, what happened? I just, I'm kind of going to school and I go home and my social life is good. What happened? Or you're the guy who went overseas for a couple of weeks and you shared the gospel to a lost and dying world and you were excited when you came back because you were like, man, the world needs Jesus. I need to tell the world about Jesus. And you think of that moment now and you just go to school or you go to work and you come home and your social life is good, but you still remember about that moment where you said, man, the world needs Jesus. And you think, what happened? Like, I'm just playing it comfortable and safe. And so I want to look at Peter this morning because that's, that's what Peter did. He, he messed up. He messed up. And we find Peter in this story in a context where he is in great shame. And so the question I want to ask you guys this morning is this. When you sin, when you mess up, or when you look at your past, when, when something happened, whatever it was, whether it was days ago, weeks ago, years ago, how do you think God looks at you? How do you think God looks at you? Because that answer will dictate the response that you have. Do you see God as angry, vindictive, disappointed? Like, hey, you messed up. I don't want to be around you. Is that how you view God? Or do you view him as a loving father who, who comes after his children, who just maybe might be trying to get our attention? So uh, Peter, um, just a, such a relatable character and scripture. Um, I love him because he's, you know, he's one of the people who started the church, but he's also kind of a punk a lot of times. And when I tell people like, yeah, I just feel like I relate a lot to Peter. They're like, well, you think you're the person who created the church? And I was like, no, I think I'm hot-headed. I think I'm a punk and I think I'm too quick to speak, you know? Um, and so Peter, when Jesus first meets Peter, he's a fisherman. Peter, his job is to catch fish. And then Jesus comes to him and he says, I will now make you a fisher of men. And for three years, Peter as a disciple travels with Jesus. He has lots of heart, but he's not quick to think. And this serves him well a lot of the times. For example, when Jesus said, who do you think I am? Peter's like, you're the son of God. And then Jesus is like, frat snap. That's right. You got it. Or uh, moments where Jesus would be like, okay, who wants to go uh, remove this demon from the self? Peter's the guy who's like, me, me, me. I want to. I want to. You know, he's just excited. He's young and he's bold. and He's like, I'm going to take the world for you, Jesus. You know, and it's good. That's good. But at times it gets him in trouble. For example, when the mob comes to arrest Jesus, he's like, no, you're not. And he cuts off a guy's ear trying to go for his neck, but misses and he gets his ear. Or Jesus, when he says, Peter, one day, in a couple days, I'm, I'm going to die. And Peter's like, no, I rebuke you, Jesus. Don't say that. And Jesus is like, get away from me, Satan. You know, that moment, he's just quick to think and he's quick to speak. And then Jesus, he says, Peter, I want you to know soon you will deny me three times. And Peter's like, no, not me, not me. I could never do that. I will never do that, you know? And then what happens is, and and a couple chapters later, Jesus is taken to the courtyard and they start to ask him, hey, you know Jesus. And in fear, he's like, I don't know Jesus. And then a little girl's like, hey, mister, I, I think I've seen you with Jesus. And he's like, stay away from me, woman. I do not know Jesus. And then the third time, the crowd says, hey, hey, I've seen you with Jesus And he starts to cuss just to make his point even clearer. And he says, I do not know Jesus. And it's crazy because as he says that, he looks up and stares Jesus right in the face. And I was thinking about moments in my life as a Christian where I'm kind of embarrassed to be a Christian. Moments where I was like, man, I just, I was kind of like awkward. And I was like, yeah, I'm a Christian, I guess. And I feel bad. But think about denying Jesus right in front of him, right? Looking him in the eye. 
And then the text says that then Peter went and, and he wept. And so that's where we find Peter in this scene. You see, Peter now in our context, he, he's a man who is broken. And right before John 21 and John 20, an angel appears to Mary. And the angel says, go get the disciples and Peter and have them meet Jesus by the Sea of Galilee. Now the question is, why, why say the disciples and Peter? Why not just say the disciples? It's because Peter, at this point, he's broken. He's hurt. And I think if they would have gone to him and said, Peter, our disciples, we want you to meet Jesus, Peter would have been like, nah, not, not me. Not me. You see, at this point in our story, Jesus has died and he has resurrected. And so Jesus is back. And Peter, I think, has a whole, whole lot of fear and shame. And so Peter then goes with the disciples. They're by the sea. And in verse 1, that's where we start our scene. Peter, with his disciples, he says, hey guys, I am, I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go fishing. Now, this is significant um, because Peter, as a fisherman, this was his trade. This is what he knew. And so for the last three years, Peter wasn't a fisherman. But before Jesus, he was. And so for him to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to go fish, there's, there's a lot in that because it's not him just saying, I'm going to kill time all night before Jesus gets back. I'm excited. Let's just kill time. It's, I'm, I'm going back to what I knew. I'm going to go back to what's safe and comfortable. And for us, I mean, that could look like you're in shame. Just life is just hard. You messed up and you're just like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm playing Xbox all night. Or, you know what? I don't, I don't care. I'm porn. I'm looking at porn. You know what? I don't care. I'm going back to that girl or that guy. I don't care. I'm, give me the alcohol. You know, give me it. Let me get drunk because I just, I don't care. You go back to what's comfortable, you know, and that's, that's Peter in this moment. He says, I, I don't care, you know, I'm done. I just, I just want to fish. And so Peter, he gets on, he gets in the sea. The disciples go with him and, and they're fishing. Now, what happens next is they fish all night, but catch nothing. Now, this is significant because think of this as Peter. Peter messed up. Peter's in shame. Peter's hurt. And on top of it, the very thing he's good at isn't working. So he's like, not only did I deny Jesus, but I can't even catch a fish. The thing that I know, the thing I'm most comfortable with all night, I can't even catch one fish, 12 hours of trying, and I catch nothing. Now, this is nothing but God's sovereignty over this situation. God knows he's not catching fish. So is God being mean to him? Is God trying to wake him up and just be mean? He's a vindictive God. Yeah, you're in shame, but take this also, not catching any fish? No. What God's doing is he's trying to get his attention. And sometimes what God does to us, he tries to get our attention. And sometimes it hurts a little bit. You know, so think if you all had children. Think if you have a kid and he picks up a hand grenade and then he unclips the hand grenade. Are you going to be like, well, that's not my kid. It's fine. No, you're going to run. And even if it hurts him, you're going to grab him and run. It doesn't matter how bad it hurts the kid. You're trying to save his life. And so that's what God's doing here. He's trying to save Peter. He's trying to get... Peter's attention. So let me tell you, how, how do you know Jesus is moving towards you? Because the life that you're living isn't working. Because the life that you're living isn't working. How do you know he's coming towards you? Because that thing you're putting your comfort in that isn't him, isn't satisfying you. Every time you get on the internet and you look at that stuff and when you're done, you just, you feel empty. Or you, every time you think to the past when you were on that mission trip or you were just on so fire for the Lord and now you look at yourself now and you say, yeah, I'm at my job and I'm, I'm making money. I'm going home. I'm, I'm at school and I have a good, good friend group, but, but I'm just not satisfied. I, I miss my relationship. It's just not working. So right now for Peter, 
it's just not working. He's, he's trying to do what he knows, and he goes back to his comfort, but it's not working. And so the next day, the next morning, they're on, they're on the ocean. They're about 100 yards away. That's what the text says. And they see a figure. And it's Jesus, but they see him, and they don't recognize him. Now, this last Thursday morning, I was having breakfast with uh, two other fellows. And one guy in particular, Hayden Stringer, he pointed something out to me. I was telling him what I was doing, what I was going through. And I told him about the spot in the story when, uh, when Jesus shows up. And Hayden was like, yeah, it's kind of hilarious. Because he, he kind of tricks them a lot of the time in this story. And I was kind of like, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, he kind of like appears and then disappears. And I went back and I read moments where Jesus appeared after the resurrection. And it's true. For example, Mary. So Mary, she goes to the tomb. Jesus isn't there. She runs out weeping and she runs into this guy. And she thinks it's a gardener, but it's Jesus. And so he's just cutting the, the bushes and he's like, hey, what's wrong? He knows what's wrong. He knows what's going on. And she's like, oh, have you not heard? Oh my gosh. And she tells him the story. And he's like, okay, so are you okay? You know, and he's just like, he's messing with her. And then he turns around and he goes, Mary. And she realizes who it is. And then he disappears. Some people think this is just mystery and like God's trying to get their attention. I don't. I think he's jacking with them. You know, I think he's just having fun. Another moment in Mark, two disciples are walking down the road to Emmaus. And on the road, they run into a guy. And the guy is Jesus, but for seven miles, they don't know it's Jesus. And he's like, hey, what happened? And they literally tell him about his own death, burial, and resurrection. And to add more to it is Jesus actually says, oh, but you're forgetting the part where this Jesus, he fulfilled the whole covenant of the Old Testament, fulfilled all the laws. And they're like, oh yeah, we did, you know, we did miss that part. And then they're like, hey, bro, because Jesus, he's like, okay, we'll see ya. And he starts walking and they're like, wait, wait, why don't you just come to dinner with us? And he's like, okay. And so they're eating dinner and he's like, hey, can you pass me some bread? By the way, I'm Jesus. And then disappears. And they're like, what was that? You know, that high pitch, like what just happened? It's like that moment. And he does that a couple other times. And then he appears to all the disciples and he says, peace be with you. And they freak out, which is ironic because he's like, peace be with you. Boom. Ah, you know, and they're all like, what just happened? And so they see him on the shore, and it's funny that they didn't recognize him because you'd think after a couple of times, they'd be like, I've, I've seen this before, guys. I've seen it before, you know? And so he starts messing with them. He's playful. He starts messing with them, and then he does this, and it almost sounds patronizing. He looks at them, he says, children, little boys, have you got any food yet? And I want you to know this. As a fisherman for these guys, to be all night, not catching anything, in their frustration, for someone to be like, you caught food yet? If you look at the text, they just say no, period. It's not like a not yet, but we're still working. It's more like a no, go away, you know? And so I want you to know the significance of this moment. Because the first time Jesus ever meets Peter, the same thing happens. You see, Peter, he's, he's on the sea, and he's fishing. And Peter walks up, or Jesus walks up, and he's like, Hey, Peter, you, you caught anything? And Peter's like, look, bro, I, I don't know who you are. I'm a little frustrated right now, a little annoyed right now. And Jesus is like, hey, why don't you just toss it to the right? And he's like, you don't think I've tried that? Aren't you a carpenter? I hear you're a carpenter. Why don't you go carpenter? And he's like, no, no, just, just throw it to the right. And he's like, Ugh. throws it to the right. And there's so much fish that he can't even like pick it up. And he realizes who he's talking to. And he gets on his knees and he's like, get away from me, God. I'm not good. And Jesus responds with, no, no, no. You're mine now. I've got a new life for you. 
And in that moment, Peter becomes Jesus' disciple, and he becomes a fisher of men. And for three years, Peter, he's with Jesus. He's with Jesus. And so in the same moment, I can just imagine the disciples are all frustrated, but I just imagine Peter just frozen because he recognizes this. And he says, hey, have you caught any fish? And the disciples are like, no. But Peter, I feel like Peter's just getting chills because he remembers this moment. And then he says, why don't you throw the net on the right side? And Peter knows to do that. Peter's not complaining. I imagine everyone's like, okay, but Peter, he knows. And they throw it on the right side. And in that moment, Jesus performs the same miracle with Peter that he performs the first time. So the first time Jesus offered relationship to Peter, he does the same exact time when Peter is in his worst shameful point. And this is to show that the same relationship, Peter, that I offered you in the first place, that relationship still stands. The door is still open. The door is still open. And I love it because it says the, uh, the disciple who Jesus loved, which is John, fun fact, John wrote the book of John, so I don't know. Um, so, <laughs> so it says the disciple who Peter loved, John, he looks to Peter because, because he knows, and he says, Peter, this, that's Jesus. You know, he's like, this is for you. And so it's so cool because in this moment, what is Peter's response? In this moment, Peter, he takes a full forest gump and he jumps into the sea and he swims to him. And he swims to him. You see the same miracle that Jesus performed in the first place. He performs again to Peter. That same relationship that Jesus offered Peter in the first place, it still stands. And if I could just say this in the most cliche way I possibly can, I just hope you hear that and you swim towards him. I hope you hear that and know this, that the relationship you once had with him, it's still open. He said, it's still open. You're still mine. I'm still, I'm still here. And it's funny, their interactions, because in verse eight, the other disciples, they're just rowing. It says they're not far off. And so it's kind of funny that Peter jumps in because they're rowing and they probably literally see him. They're like, hey, what's up, man? You know, and they, they, they roll up and uh, in verse 10 through 14, what does it say? It says, Jesus has breakfast with his disciples with a charcoal fire burning, with a charcoal fire burning. So what's the significance of this? What's the significance? Well, it's, it's this. Does he look out into the boat and does he say, you get back here. What are you doing out there? You messed up, Peter. You messed up. What are you doing? Get over here. Why are you fishing? Is that his response? Because a lot of times that's what the response we think he has. What are you doing? But what's his response? It's, hey, I got breakfast ready. Y'all want to eat? It's not anger. It's not, it's not even disappointment. It's like playful. It's gentle. He's kind. He has breakfast. He's saying, hey, come eat breakfast with me. You know? And it's funny because they're hauling in the fish, but he's already got the fish on the, on the plate. And so it shows that we, we have really nothing to offer because he's got it covered. They're coming in with fish, and he's like, no, nah, I got it covered. But then what he does, he says, but bring your fish over here anyways. And he invites them into what he's doing. It's incredible because that's what he does with us. He looks at us, and he says, look, no, no, you, you don't have anything to offer me. I already got it covered. I got it taken care of. But I would love for you to take part in what I'm doing. Jesus opens his arms, and he invites us in to what he's doing He says, I want a relationship with you, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. And I was looking at uh, at Constable's Notes, which is a commentary online, very handy if you're ever just reading scripture. And uh, he was talking about that charcoal fire. And it's interesting because that charcoal fire, what I was reading, is only in 
two places in the entire Bible. It's in this moment when Jesus is forgiving Peter. And it's also in the moment, a couple chapters before, when Peter denies Jesus. So Jesus, what he's doing is he's taking that moment of shame. He's taking that moment of, of just messing up. And what is he doing? He's placing that same moment and he's recreating it with the opportunity of relationship. He's recreating the moment of sin. He's recreating it for relationship. And it's so poetic. It's so poetic. And so what that tells me is the door's still open. Man, he loves us and the door's still open. He's not going anywhere. So as we, uh, as we read forward in verses 15 through 19, um, Jesus then pay, takes Peter aside and he says, hey, hey, we need to talk. And so uh, what we see here is, is, yeah, Peter messed up. Yes, God is so forgiving. Yes, the door is still open for, for an exciting life, but, but you, just, you need to talk first. And he says, Peter, I love you, but, but we need to have a conversation. And so what does he tell Peter? He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, feed my sheep. And then for a third time, he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter is stressed out because he's like, yes, of course, I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. Why is Jesus doing that? Is it because Jesus is mad? Is he like, hey, do you love me? Yes, Lord. It didn't look like that a couple days ago. Where was that a couple days ago? Is that what he's doing? No, no, of course not. He is offering Peter an opportunity to move forward an opportunity to move forward in relationship with him. How do we know that? Because he says this, feed my sheep. And uh, he's, he's calling the world sheep, which isn't a great compliment. because um, sheep are very stupid. Um, but he's, he's saying the sheep need a shepherd. The sheep need a shepherd. And you see, Jesus calls himself the great shepherd. The sheep need him. The world needs him. And so he's saying, Peter, yeah, I, I know what you did. I saw you mess up. I saw it. I know what you did. I forgive you and let's move forward because the world needs me, Peter. My sheep need me and I want to use you. I want you to be the tool to, to go out in the world and feed my sheep. Peter, I want to use you. Feed my sheep. And so not only is there restoration involved, not only is he restoring Peter, but he's still giving him the opportunity to be used by him. And so many of us think when we mess up, that's it, you know? Okay, even if, even if God forgives me, even if I'm forgiven, that, that's it. I can't, I can't do anything because then I'm a hypocrite, you know? That, that's just, that's not true. Yeah, Jesus' arms are open and you get right with him. But from there, you move forward, man. You move forward because the world, the world needs him. And it's so cool because Jesus actually predicts his own death. Jesus predicts Peter's death and he says, Basically, that you will, you will die for my glory. So Peter, what he does, if you read Acts, he, is, he starts the church. He starts Christianity. He does these huge things. But you know, he's still kind of a punk at times. He and Paul, they clash heads, and Peter's in the wrong here. But what does Peter do? He doesn't just run this time. He remembers this moment, and he moves forward. And God used him in incredible ways for his glory to start the church. Because the sheep, the sheep need him. The sheep needs them. And, uh, and so students, I, I look at my life and I look at, man, just where we're at. And sometimes we just, we mess up or we look at the past and we, we're so hard on ourselves, you know? We're so hard and we live in such shame. But Jesus is standing in front of us saying, no, I went to a cross and I rose, a, rose from the grave and I buried your sin with it. I buried it. And so know this, if you are 
You are a Christian in the room right now. You are made clean by Jesus. And so to end, end this, my first point would be to those of you who, who don't know Jesus. Um, that Christianity is, is not about a bunch of rules that you follow. It's not about a bunch of laws that you follow. In fact, this is what makes us distinct from any other religion. Because there is nothing we can do in ourselves to earn the favor of God. There's nothing. We can't earn it. We can't earn it. But what, what, what he did is he looked at us and he said, no, I, I love you and I will make a way for you to have a relationship with me. And so Jesus lived a perfect life. Is fully God, is fully man. He, he died on the cross and he rose again from the grave, conquering sin as the perfect sacrifice to make a way for us to know God. And you see, that is all through the work of him. We are the only, what makes us distinct is we are the only people who a God came down in a humble position to win us over. The only ones. And so let me tell you now to the Christian is when you mess up, that love doesn't go away. That love doesn't go away. Yes, there is a process of forgiveness. Yes, there is a process of restoration, but he still loves you the same. The door's still open. And Jesus is right there in his gentle and kind and even playful self saying, here's breakfast, you know? It's such a beautiful passage. And my hope is that after this, after reading this, after seeing Peter, we could have the same response Peter has. And that's okay. I will follow you. Okay, follow you all the way to the death. And so let me tell you, there's some of you in here who you're missionaries and you don't know it yet. Some of you, you're going overseas eventually for a long time and you don't know it yet. Because some of you, you had that passion at one point and it left and you're like, oh man, what happened? What happened? Well, I'm telling you now, some of you, you're going and it's exciting and you're gonna do the work of the Lord for the nations. Some of you, you're gonna stay here Some of you are going to stay here and instead of just going to work and making your money and having your good social life, you're going to be a beacon of light to the people at your work. You're going to be a beacon of light to the people in your school. You're going to be a beacon of light to the people around you because you have been changed and transformed by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the the relationship's still still open and let's move forward, Christians, because they're sheep in the world and they need Jesus. And we are the church. The reason we're here, one of the biggest reasons is because Peter had that vision 2,000 years ago and we're the ones carrying it forward. So let's carry it. Let's be bold. Let's go out into a lost and dying world because they desperately need Jesus. Let's pray. Um, Lord, we, we praise you for being a God who, who loves us, who restores us, Lord. God, thank you for being a God who sent Jesus down to die a painful death, to rise again, to create a relationship that we can have and enjoy with you. And so, Lord, despite our sin, despite our shame and our, and our filth, we trust and we know that you are a God with, with arms open, saying the relationship still stands, saying there is still time, the door is still open. And so, Lord, that is what I pray for us, that when we sin, we won't run, we won't go back to what's comfortable because this life is short. And so, God, I pray that we would, the reality of this life being short would hit us and we would want to use all our time, every breath we take, every second to make your name known, to glorify you, Father. God, we, we don't want to waste it. We don't want to waste it. And so, Lord, I pray for every student in this room. Would we be a beacon of light for Jesus Christ? Would we be bold in our faith? And would we move forward, move forward and feed the sheep, God? 
So now what I want you to do is just keep your eyes closed and your head bow and just take a couple minutes and um, just have a conversation with them. If there's sin in your life right now that you just need to confess, then now is the time. Now is the time. But build and know right now your relationship with him. And for those of you who have recognized that, ask yourself right now, God, what can I do to be a beacon of light for you? What can I do to be a beacon of light to the people around me? And then we're going to respond in in worship. So go ahead and take a couple minutes and, and pray.